All right. So once again, thank you for being here tonight. I want to welcome everybody here and also those listening on our podcast channel. Tonight, we're going to start off a new book. We're going to start off by studying the book of Romans. Okay. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter one. If you use your phone or your iPad, that's cool. That's how I do it. Um, Now, before we begin, I always like to provide a little background, a little history so we can fully appreciate and fully understand what's going on. Paul likely wrote the book of Romans that we're going to study around the year 55 AD, 55 AD-ish. You know, get a little technical there for you, but you know what I mean? It's that general time period, um, and that would have been at least 20 years uh, since Jesus had died on the cross. He likely wrote it while he was in the Greek city of Corinth. Corinth is still a city. You can Google that and you can look that up. Now, also get a little background on Paul. He had probably been a preacher and evangelist for 20 years at this point. Okay, so just for example, I've been a pastor for 10 years. The dude has another 10 years on me. So he is not a newbie. He's been doing this. He's experienced. He knows what he's doing. And what's cool is Paul wrote the book of Romans basically as a complete teaching on the gospel. And what I mean by that is different from some of his other letters, some of the other books in the New Testament, because with those other letters, he wrote to teach about Jesus. But if you ever studied them, he also was addressing problems that were occurring within those churches. Right, there's a lot of stuff going on. But in this book, the Romans, book of Romans is a little different. It's all about the greatness of God and the wonderful work that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's the main point. So in a way, you can almost think of it like a standalone document meant to convert as many people to Christianity and help as many people as possible grow in their faith that weren't Jews. And again, to understand the time period back then, the majority of the New Testament, the, the book that you, know, that you had, the majority, has not even been written yet. Right? And more importantly, there was no complete Bible for the disciples, for Paul, for the early church to go, oh, here, read this. Like tonight, I said, open up your, book, your Bibles, let's go to Romans. They didn't have anything like that. Right? We have the, body we can, the Bible we can study. So Paul, with the book of Romans, he's basically giving like a pre-New Testament, pre-Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, account of Jesus Christ, what it means to believe. It's really kind of cool what he's doing, Right? And so as we study this, the reason I tell that is, imagine yourself being in Rome and hearing about this for the first time. You don't have the Bible. You've heard some stories about Jesus Christ. Word has gotten to you, but that's it, word of mouth. Now you're getting the full deal, and that's what Paul is doing, right? So let's start with uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. And this is how Paul starts out. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul begins with some very big important details. And again, they would have meant a lot back then. We need to take time to understand them so we can understand what he's saying and more closely follow Jesus, this path that he's laying out. So the words that are highlighted in bold are what we really need to pay attention to. He starts off by telling us he's a servant of Jesus. He's a servant. He's not Jesus' equal. He's not his counterpart, his buddy, his co-pilot. He serves Jesus means he's actually below Jesus. He belongs to Jesus. He follows Jesus, right? Paul has made a choice. He continues to make a choice to follow. Next, he also says he was called and set apart. Remember, the early church, this is all new information to them. So they're learning this. That's why he's explaining this. And these two words, called and set apart, we need to understand as well. The word called means God called him out of his normal life. Like imagine the whole world is over here on On this side, God called Paul out of that life to be completely different, to follow him, 
to do things differently. Like literally, think about when Jesus called the first disciples. They were fishermen, right? And what did he say? Follow me. And what did they do? They dropped their nets. It literally, like think of Jesus walked up to a construction site, said, follow me. And the construction workers, they literally put their hammer, they took their tool belt off, put their nail gun, their air compressor down, left their truck with all their tools and just followed him. And that's what it means to be called. Literally, you're not the same. He didn't, he didn't go, yeah, I'll follow Jesus, and then stay, go right back to his normal life, stay with everybody else. This was different. And so that's what the, 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 uh, the, the picture that Paul's painting. He was called and set apart for a special purpose. He's very clearly, again, indicating he just didn't go back to his normal life, and he doesn't want other people to do that too. This is his new normal. There's no more me time. Hey, God, that sounds great. I'll get to it when I have time. This is about something completely new, right? And again, it's a big deal because a lot of people are hearing about this type of faith, this type of religion for the first time. They were used to a polytheistic system where they were, if you ever learned about Roman gods and Greek gods, there were lots of them, right? And they had a, they, there was no set way to worship those gods. You had to make offerings. Hopefully the offerings worked so the god didn't get mad and do something awful to you. And Paul, so when Paul says, we are called out of our lives, we're to be something different, to become something new. The world is over here. You come over here. So let's continue and let's see what Paul ha- has to say because he's got a lot more. This is Romans 1, verses 2 to 4. And he says, The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was anointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, to really understand what Paul's doing here, we, let's put ourselves 2,000 years ago into the Roman religious system. Right? All their systems, their system, all their beliefs. So for instance, when I say the name uh, Mars, Jupiter, Venus, those are gods. Those are very real to them. To those, those are mythical gods, right? Ancient gods. We've seen them depicted in movies, cartoons, all kinds of stuff. That was their God. That was their reality. That's how they operated. It was not a myth to them, right? And the way that, still, for instance, think of the way that people think of today Jesus Christ. You see crucifixes around town on churches. People wear them. They had the exact same thing with those gods. It was very real. So now we have this new guy, Paul, teaching about Jesus Christ. And he's got to start from scratch, bring Jesus Christ into the system. And what Paul very much doesn't want to happen is people hear about Jesus and then they just put him up on the mantle right next to Mars, Juno, Venus, and then, oh, here's Jesus. He just one more of all the many that they have. Or he doesn't want them to go, oh, we got so many anyway, we'll be fine. Right? This is completely different. This is new. This is great. So what Paul's doing also is tying Jesus to ancient scriptures, right? He's saying, listen, this is not a new religion. God created the world. He's always been here. You're just hearing about it for the first time. He's also saying Jesus was a real person. He was actually a descendant of King David, and they would have known of King David in that time, right? So Paul, in a way, he's laying the groundwork to kind of remove their whole belief system, their whole religion, and start off with the one true God. He's saying, again, this isn't new. You just work it into what you already have. This one has always been here. 
Jesus rose from the dead. He's new. He's saying he defeated death. Because of that, he has unique power that this world has never seen before. Right? None of those other gods had that. And so what he wanted people to do to really consider what was going on, what the message was, that Jesus defeated death. Right? Now, Paul's going to go even deeper with this message, and he's going to tie it to them directly. He's going to make it personal. Let's read that in verses 5 and 6. He says, Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So first off, he, des- he, he describes how this applies to them and also describes what they're receiving. He says they received grace. It's a, it's a free gift. God's love, God's attention, his salvation, right? And this, this would have stood out to the Romans because within their belief system, you didn't receive anything for free. Everything costs you. And, and if you really want to study it, go back and look. It's a very confusing system because there isn't one thing that you do that works for all gods. It was kind of just a bunch of patchwork. And so now Paul's saying, you've received a free gift from God. It's free. He loves you. Again, think of like the Roman gods, if you really get into it. I've said this before. It's kind of like a soap opera. All the stuff that they did. They could be angry. They could be jealous. They slept around with other gods, with humans. They were no better than us. That was their system. And so when Paul describes this free gift of God, this salvation, it would have caused people to pause and really consider, what is this? How does this work? Right? Paul says they were called to apostleship, Paul and the other disciples, with the express, express purpose of telling people this good news to bring them to the, faith, to the faith, and then their faith, they would then be obedient to God. They would follow him, right? So then in, in verse 6, Paul gets very direct, and I love this, by telling them. Basically, he's pointing a finger at them. You personally are called. You are called to faith. This God knows you. He created you on purpose. You're not some random, faceless person who gives an offering and then goes away quickly. He knows who you are. He wants to have a relationship with you. Paul's message is very direct. It's very personable and very much unlike the religion that they knew. And now this next verse, this is where Paul really brings it home. He's, he's already shared a lot of good information, but this is our clincher, and this is something I really like. It's in verse 7. Let's read about it. And again, these are the people hearing about this good stuff for the first time. Verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God, And called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So, this message is for everybody. Think about it not just the rich, the educated, the ones in charge. It's for everybody. Absolutely everyone. Everyone is called, everyone is loved by God, and he wants them to be his holy people. The poor, the forgotten, the uneducated, the downtrodden, the sick. They matter just as much as everyone else. God wants to know them personally. That's a huge message. That's something that people would have uh, taken note of. Now again, not to beat a dead horse, but what did Paul say was required to receive this? Nothing. It was free. It was God's free gift to them, right? They weren't called. They're not forced. They're not coerced in any way. And this is completely different. This was new to them. This was a big deal. It was special. Now, as we head into verse 8, 
Paul's just going to, Paul's going to give us a little bit of a picture of the progress of the church in Rome, right? This is what he says in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. So it's likely Paul had never actually been to Rome yet, so the believers he's talking to didn't get this message, the first stuff that they heard about Jesus Christ through him. We think that some of the believers, some of the people there, maybe had even been in Jerusalem um, during Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and the tongues on fire and the disciples spoke in many different languages. There may have been people there, and then they took what they heard back to Jerusalem. But again, there was no Bible. All they could do was share what they had heard, right? But regardless, there are believers in Rome, and Paul is simply, he's thoroughly delighted, he's happy that they can share in their happiness, Even though they'd never met, the one thing that binds them together that makes them a family is their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what he's highlighting. He's going to continue this in uh, verses 9 and 10. He says, God, whom I serve in in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness to how I constantly remember you. In my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. To Paul, he's offering encouragement and letting the believers in Rome know they're not alone. They're not alone at all. Not only do they share faith in the same God, but that faith binds every one of them together the world over. He says, I pray for you. I think about you all the time. And I hope I can come to you. So what's in his heart is their continued growth, but also to physically know each other, to have a relationship as well. And this is Paul talking about what we call today Christian fellowship. That, that's, that's what this is. Before it became a thing, before that was, he's saying, I'm going to come and be with you. We're going to get to know each other. We're going to do life together. Now, I can tell you, uh, one, of the be- one of the biggest benefits of going on a mission trip, if you've never been, you should go. Our, ch- our church goes on lots of them. Going on those trips is, is really good in a lot of ways. We can reach new people with the gospel. We can help people with their, with their spiritual and medical needs. There's lots of stuff we do. But it also has a, a big impact on the believers already in that community that are already working to try to spread the gospel. When people from another country purposely take time off from work to go there, to share the gospel, to help them, it is so powerful. We eat together. We worship together. We get to know each other, become friends. I have friends on Facebook from other countries that we've been there. And what we're saying is you matter. We are a family. We care about you. We all belong to Jesus Christ. And that is a special message. That's really, really cool. And so that's what Paul is doing. He really had a gift for missions, and he's coming at it from all angles. New people to Jesus and the people that already believe, he's trying to reach all of them. right? And that's a good example for us to follow. Now, as we continue, let's look at verses 11 and 12 because they're going to go a little bit more into detail with this. Verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So Paul gets specific here, and let's look at this because this is actually really important. His desire is to bestow and to help develop spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts are going to be used to increase their faith and his. Now, I want to stop here for a second. 
This is here, in my opinion, where I think the United States as a whole is struggling with church attendance and why faith may be decreasing to a degree. Too many churches try to fill the, the pews and the collection plate rather than develop spiritual gifts, rather than create disciples, right? For example, I'm going to make this personal a little bit. Think back on your own religious upbringing, the upbringing of your friends, your family, what you've experienced, right? And then answer this question honestly. Do you think churches in the the United States, by and large, do a good job of developing spiritual gifts so that that person is stronger and then they're able to strengthen the people around them. Is that a main focus? Or do we tend to focus more on building and creating church goers? Because those are not the same thing. People who attend church are not the same as disciples of Jesus Christ, right? And that's the point. And for, for example, I personally know some people who have had fabulous church attendance for decades decades. But at the same time, they have not once shared their faith with anybody. They've not once prayed with somebody. They've not taken a genuine solid step to help someone else in their faith at all. Right? And please don't misunderstand me. This is not a condemnation of them in any way. This is, again, my opinion that in the United States, our whole church system, we've become very comfortable with our wealth the way we do church, how things operate, and we've lost that, that roadmap, that drive that Paul and the early church had. And so that's what Paul's talking about, what he's doing. It's very specific. He did not once talk about any church service, did he? Or how often to go. What he's doing, he's, he's diving headfirst into reaching new people and in truly strengthening the ones that are already there with faith, developing their own spiritual gifts, gifts that he may not have, that they may have. And then those gifts are going to make him stronger and them stronger. Again, not talking about church attendance. That's great. But he's talking about something different. And you see, he's really, he's just following the plan that Jesus laid out. Jesus was very clear. Test me on this. He never said, go and make churchgoers, did he? What did he say? Go and make It's a very specific word. We're to go and make disciples. And then what? Those disciples should go and make other disciples. So now I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to pause and point the finger right here at us in this church. If you go to this church for a long time, I'm going to say years or even decades, and you never once step out in faith and talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ, if you never share your faith once, if you never take that step and we don't work with you to to work on your spiritual gifts, then we have failed you as a church. We're not here to create churchgoers with good attendance and bring good offerings. We're here to create disciples and keep this process going. That's what this is about. Our goal in this church is to help you and then we help others and we continue in that process, right? Now, what's great is once you start to do that, sometimes you're going to share your faith. Sometimes you're going to strengthen other people who are then going to do the same thing and then back and forth. And it just creates this system where we all help each other and we continue to grow. We all use our own unique gifts, right? The point is we don't simply just go to church. The purpose is always bigger. It's intentional. That's our goal. And that's what Paul is specifically doing with this church in Rome. Remember, 
they didn't have a Bible. There was no blueprint. They had just heard about Jesus Christ. So he's writing this letter, and now they're getting it, and they're going, this is what it's supposed to be. Oh. Right? This is how things go. That's why he wrote this letter. Now, and we're going to see in verse 13, he's just going to reinforce this idea of fellowship, and he wants to know that uh, there's a reason he hasn't visited them, them yet. Verse 13, I don't want you to be unaware brothers and sisters, that I had planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among other Gentiles. So the people must have known about Paul, and they were expecting him to come visit, or at least hoping he would come visit and teach them and help them, but he wasn't able to. And Paul was aware of that desire. He was aware of that need. And he wanted to make it clear that there was a solid reason why he didn't come. They mattered to them. And for example, it wasn't always safe to travel back then. There are a number of times, if you read closely, that Paul and the disciples, they got arrested, they got tossed in jail, they got whipped for simply teaching about Jesus Christ. So when they traveled, they had to be safe. They had to make sure it was the right time. They needed to make sure it was according to God's time. They didn't just go out on their own. They went when God told them. So Paul's making it clear, they've always been on his heart. He's always praying for them, always thinking about them, and he will get there as soon as he can. Now, verse 14, which we're going to read, is an interesting verse. It's interesting because he's going to address the different types of people that he is going to encounter and need to teach, and it's a lesson for us as as well. 14 and 15, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So it sounds strange, but that's why I want to talk about this for a sec, that he says he's going to teach Greeks and non-Greeks. Now today we would just say everybody. But back then, society was a little more broken up by ethnicity, religion. Just talking like that was more common. Like, for example, how strange would it be if I said, you know, hey, we're going to have a baptism this weekend and we're inviting both Germans and non-Germans. You're like, what? That's unnecessary, right? Just say everybody. So when you read that, Paul is not, Paul is just talking to the people. That's how they talk back then. That's just normal. But he's saying everybody. That's what they're doing. He's reaching out, right? And he's also saying he's obligated to both the wise and the foolish. Now, just so we're on the same page, the Greek word here that he used for unwise is anoitos. And it can mean a couple of different things. It can mean those without understanding, those who just simply don't know. It can mean those who are actually unwise, and it can actually mean those who are foolish. It can mean all three. So my guess, my personal opinion, is that because Paul is not new to being an evangelist, he's talked to lots of different people, he knows he's going to have to teach all kinds of people, right? And today, for example, there are people who simply don't know about Jesus Christ. There are some people who just have no idea. There are some people who may be unwise, and there may be some people who are foolish. And I can tell you, I've spoke, I've taught in different kinds of churches. I've taught at work, at the hospital, in my backyard, at bonfires. I've taught in the jails, did a Bible study in the jail for a long time in many different places, and I've talked to many different people. I've taught people who believe in other faiths, believe in other things. I've talked to people who don't believe in anything at all. But we need to take, what we need to take from this is that when we teach, when we talk about Jesus, we talk to the person who they are, and what their level of understanding 
is. Some people are going to know all the full history, the big details. They want to get into the Greek and the Hebrew and the nuances. Some people are like, no, 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 no. Give me the big stuff. Give me the highlight. Give me, give me the, the Cliff Notes version. Remember that in the Cliff Notes we used to have, though? Right? And some people are going to be all over in between. But the point is, all of that is okay. And I can tell you personally, from personal experience, not always going into more and more detail does that necessarily bring more faith. It doesn't always. The point is, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that could be a 20-second conversation. That can be a book with a PhD and all kinds of stuff. You speak to the person because every person matters. And that's the main point. We just need to be aware and not judge how deep we end up going. It's just simply having faith. That's why Paul makes that distinction. He wants us to be aware so when we do reach out to others. So now we're going to come to the two final verses for the teaching for today, and they're, they're actually really good. Let's start with verse 16. You're going to see what I mean. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, when Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel, what he means, you've got to remember, think of the time period. Think of who he's talking to. Being a disciple of somebody who was crucified, executed on a cross, was not something to brag about. Now, today... It's not that big a deal. You know, it's kind of, we everyone, people, people wear crosses around their neck, right? And I'm one of those, that's fine. Just don't make it like jewelry, jewelry, like really flashy, because remember, that's a mode of, that was a mode of execution. That's what that was. And Jesus, we have to be honest, he was given the death penalty by the state. They saw him as a criminal. The religious authorities of the day, the Jewish authorities, declared him a heretic. And so the Romans put him to death alongside other common criminals. So to the general population, crucifixion was for what? Guilty people, really guilty people. And so his crucifixion was not something to be uh, proud of. Now, for example, think of today. Think of there is some fringe group today came up to you and they wanted to tell you about their Messiah, the guy they believed in. You say, well, tell me about him. What happened? Well, he got arrested in federal, in federal prison, and then he was put in an electric chair about two months ago. But let me tell you everything that he said. You're like, mm, that's kind of, ooh. Electric chair, ooh. right? That's not something to brag about. It brings shame. It's like, oh, that's awful, right? And so what Paul's saying, though, he's, listen, I have no shame. But the reason I have no shame is because Jesus Christ's death on the cross was different. His death is what brings us hope. His death is what brings us salvation. It's what makes us new. He knew he was going to die. He gave himself over freely to pay that debt. That's why this matters. That's why I have no shame. That's a huge distinction. Next, Paul says something that seems a little strange, again, but we need to read and understand it. He says, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Anyone ever heard that before? Let's be honest, it sounds a little weird at first when you read it, right, to be honest. Uh, well, Paul, what he's not doing is intending or saying that Jews are more important or more, or more valuable. That's not at all. What he means is that God chose to bring salvation to the world through the Jews. God's work would start there and then go to the rest of the world. For example, um, Jesus and the disciples, were they Lutheran or were they Methodist or were they Catholic? What were they? They were Jews. What city did Jesus die in Jerusalem? It was, a, was it a Catholic city, a Baptist city, or what was it at the time? 
the Jewish city. So the, the work of saving the world started in that area of the world with Jews. But then what did Jesus say? Go. Go to the ends of the earth. It would simply start there. And to further make the point that there is no hierarchy, that's just a way Paul talked back then, let's read something from Galatians. Galatians 3.28. Beautiful verse. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is there male or female. Where? We're all one in Jesus Christ. All right? There we have it. When it comes to salvation through Jesus, we are all equal. We're one. So now we're going to come to our final verse for today, and it's a wonderful summation of what Paul wanted uh, the Romans to know. This is what happens through Jesus Christ. It's verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. It's a righteousness that is by faith from first to the last, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. So what he means is that our faith in Jesus Christ, when we come to believe, it's what makes us righteous. Faith in Jesus Christ is what saves us and makes us new. From the first person to the last, all the way through, it makes us righteous in God's eyes. It takes away our sin. And once we have faith, you know, when we're set apart, we will live that way. We will become a holy people. Right? We're going to live out our faith. So now, as we're going to wrap this up, this is what Paul wanted them to know. This is what this came down to. This is what we need to know. And that is that Jesus Christ came into this world to save us. That was the message he was taking to the world. That's the message he was putting himself at personal risk for the people to know. That Jesus came to wash away our sins, make us new, and make us holy in God's eyes. But we can only do that. We can only achieve that if we believe in him. If we choose to follow Jesus Christ. So like we always hear do in this church, we want to make sure everyone has a chance to make that choice for themselves. We want everyone to know Jesus, to answer his call. So in a minute, we're going to pray. When we do, if you would like to give your life over to Jesus Christ, if you haven't done that, all you have to do is say the words that I say right there to yourself. It's between What you say is between you and God. But we're also going to do, we're going to pray for everybody here for strength, for an increase in their faith, to use their spiritual gifts, to do what Paul is talking about, to reach out, and to continue to grow the church that started 2,000 years ago, okay? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, and to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today, we as a church, as a people, pray for strength to endure all trials. May everything we go through, both good and bad, may it strengthen our faith, our resolve, and may we always lean on you. Father, today, we recommit ourselves to you. Many times in life, we get pulled away, we fall out of sync with you, but today, we make the choice to recommit to you. It's our choice, and we choose you. Father, we also pray for all people to come to know you and to place their trust in you, because it's only through your Son that we have hope. Father, we pray that as our faith grows, you will use each one of us as you see fit. Show us our spiritual gifts. Help us to use our spiritual gifts to grow our own faith and others and to expand this church, to reach others. 
Father, we thank you for the life that you've given each one of us. We thank you for the work of Jesus Christ, the disciples, and for Paul. We thank you for this church. Most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we ask all these things. Amen.